0: Father, we pray that Your Word, O oh God, would do its work as we dig in this morning and try to know more about You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, we are in Psalm one thirty six. Now, I, I will tell you, I I, I do enjoy filling it for Gunner and getting a chance to uh, uh, teach. And we were kicking around different uh, the preaching schedule, and uh, you know, Thanksgiving always comes midweek. So is the Thanksgiving service in church the Sunday before or the Sunday after? I don't know. Well, both, yeah. So we're going to do Psalm 136 this morning, which is, which is really the Psalm of Thanksgiving for the nation of Israel. Um, kind of interesting. We'll talk more about that. And I just thought that as we read today's passage out loud in Gunner fashion, it seems right to read it the way it was intended as a congregation. Now, instead of referring to your Bibles because there's a bunch of different ways that it's written, I'm going to help you out here. So what we're going to do is um, I'm going to read to you the psalm part, and you are going to do the uh, responsive reading from the audience, which will be, His love endures forever. Real easy way to do it. In fact, it's right behind you there, His love endures forever. That's your part. And so we're going to go through the psalm that way, and I promise by the time we're done, you will actually have one half of this psalm memorized. <laughs> Isn't that great? Um, so let's just practice this, okay? Um, you're going to say, his love endures forever. Say that for me. His love endures forever. That's You're actually saying it with a smile on your face. You're not like uh, my other groups, like, his love endures forever. Yeah, very good. Um, okay, so I'm going to read the give thanks part, and you get to read that section. Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good His His love endures forever. Excellent. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. His love the moon and the stars to govern the night. His love to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. His love and brought Israel out from among them. His love With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. His love to him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. His but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the desert. His who struck down great kings. His and killed mighty kings. His Sihon, king of the Amorites. His and Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servants Israel, to the one who remembered us in our low estate and and freed us from our enemies, and And who gives food to every creature, give thanks to the God of heaven, his love love endures endures forever. forever. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and this is your word, Father. It seems repetitious, but you wrote it. You're trying to get us to get something here, maybe that your love endures forever. So Lord, we pray that as we focus on you and your word today, please help us to value your everlasting love as you've applied it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is a real treat for me. Uh, it seems the last couple rotations in, in the, the, the preaching services, Gunner has dumped on me the sin and judgment passages, and I get to have a Thanksgiving passage today. I appreciate that, Gunner. Thank you very much. Now, Psalm, Psalm 136 is actually a song. It's actually to be sung, but we don't have the original musical score. In fact, most of the Psalms actually have music to them. We don't know how it's supposed to be sung, but really, if you Google it, you will find many people have applied music to this song, and there's many ways to sing it, and it's great. Now what's truly interesting to me is that in the history of Israel, we actually see in the Old Testament references to them singing this song in one form or another throughout the Old Testament. For instance, in the book of Ezra 311, we see Israel singing the psalm as they come back from the 70 years of captivity and they reestablish the priestly worship and they sing this song. And so, in some kind of strange way, I feel like it ties us now to them then. And it's all, it's just a beautiful thing that we can sing the same words that they were singing then. And as I prepared this lesson, as I, as I really lived the lesson, and some of you know what that means, it, it struck me, uh, John, are, are you truly thankful? I will tell you, this is an area in which I lack. Are we as a church, are we a thankful people? And is our version of thankfulness the same as God's version of thankfulness? So let's dig into Psalm 136 and see if God will answer some of these questions for us. I'm not going to read the whole thing as we teach through it because you just did. Psalm 136 verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. And you may have noticed that during our Responsive Reading passage, I broke with tradition here at our church, and I used the NIV version instead of Gunner's uh, New American Standard. And the reason for that is NIV just says his love endures forever, and that's much easier than saying uh, NAS, for his loving kindness is everlasting, or King James, for his mercy endureth forever. There's different ways to say this, or if you like, um, the Hebrew would say, you might say, his hasad, his, uh, I'll say it wrong, his hasad endures forever. This H-E-S-E-D, transliterated word. Now, the challenge here is this. It's not that the translators got it wrong or that it means different things to different people. But the problem is that the Hebrew word hasad doesn't mean exactly the same as any one English word. It's a big concept. We know what the concept means. We're not, it's not a mystery but the concept is not translated well directly in English. It doesn't sing well. And so uh, we use uh, equivalent English words to uh, fit in there. We use uh, fillers, love, loving kindness, mercy, and all those are really of a lesser magnitude than what God's trying to tell us with this said that endures forever. On the one hand, said may be understood as God's grace, his loyal love, or his covenant love unto his special people, but we have this added to that God's continually—I'll say it wrong—but His continual, intentional, active love on behalf of His people. It's this like ongoing thing; it keeps going and going. It's a powerful concept, and at the risk of botching it entirely, God's has said is the continuous application of His noun love in verb form. It's this active but tangible thing. Can't do it better than that, guys. God's love for you is continually active and present. It doesn't stop. And it'll be seen in the history of your life, if it's true. There will be a a God-pursuit history in your life. You can count on that. Now you chew on that as you consider what we're going to teach today, and you figure out how God's loving care has been expressed in the history of your life as you've gone through this, your circumstances today. Something's going on, God's ordained some circumstances this week, so this lesson will apply. Circumstances which God arranged so you might truly live the lesson. So chew on that. Now back to the text. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. As God allows us a glimpse into himself in this passage. He first lays the foundation of his goodness. The first thing he wants to point out is his goodness. He's saying to you, I am good. No matter what you see, no matter what you experience, no matter what you do not understand about God's workings in your life and in world circumstances, know this, God is good. Hang your head on that. And this box... In my view, at the order of priority. What it should say in my paradigm is give thanks to God first because He's God, He deserves it. And then um, because He's powerful, that's a good one. And next, maybe because He's He's done really great things and He's done some really cool things for me. And somewhere at the bottom I'd say, Oh yeah, he's good too. That's the way I'd stack it. It'd be at the tail end. But God wants us to know first of all as we focus on this, He wants us to focus on His goodness. Number one quality He wants us to know about. He's good. At the core of everything God does, He is doing what is good, and what is good for you. And if you've lived any amount of life, that can be a tough pill to swallow. It's important because A, it's true, and B, God's pay grade is so far above ours that there's every chance that you and I will not be able to understand, let alone adequately explain, some of the mind-boggling things that God does throughout history. But I know He's good. For instance, for those of you who have participated in our Read Through the Bible in a Year program, which I imagine is starting again soon, you entered a difficult passage, 1 Samuel 15, where God says to Saul, He says, Saul... I want you to go to Amalek and utterly destroy Amalek and all that he has. And do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now I don't know anyone that considers the destruction of infants to be good. Not in my paradigm. And in my uh, enlightened 21st century American Christian paradigm, it's difficult to stamp good on such an act. That's a hard one. And still, it's noteworthy that God didn't first check with you and me before telling him to do that. It's above our pay grade. And to make sense of this, as as people we have to understand that, that our programming, our internal wiring, has been corrupted by decade after decade of both subtle and not-so-subtle godlessness. As a nation, we have steadily thrown out all references to our God-dependent roots and replaced them with prohibitions from mentioning the Lord Jesus Christ in schools and at the workplace. We're wired wrong. Our minds think wrong, even as Christians. As individuals, we have piped in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life through our normal diet of what we watch and what we listen to and what we read. It's all around us, isn't it? Guilty is charged. It's all around us. And as Christians, more than a few of us have tapped into the more sinister guilty pleasures afforded by media devices in private. Devices we carry 24 hours a day. None of us is qualified to sit in judgment of the acts of God Almighty. And knowing this, knowing our inability to view things rightly, our kind, merciful God wants us to know at the outset that He is good. Spurgeon nails it when he said God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken and when we cannot trace his hand we must trust his heart. That should be a song. It is. Verses like Romans 8, 28, uh, Romans 8, 28, 28 are entirely true and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So, is there something in your past or present that makes it challenging to see God as good? If so, you're not alone. You're not alone. And while the Bible tells us that God is good, and what he does is for the sake of good, it does not tell us that we will always recognize or understand the good outcome of a seemingly horrible situation. But God does, and God is good. And hence it follows that we, verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods for his loving kindness. Is everlasting. God is God. And it follows that He is worthy of our thanksgiving simply because He is God. He could have just said that, I'm God, say thank you, but He doesn't just say that. And this is powerful because, on the one hand, it tells the skeptic in all of us, the one who argues against His goodness, that regardless of what we think or feel, you are dealing with God, fall on your face. Still, on the other hand, the one who arranges the curriculum of your life, the one who has placed you into whatever position or godless nation you're in right now, is still God over all gods, over all ideas, and over all nations, he is in control and this is the one whose hased toward you is everlasting his love for you will endure forever you have direct access to the one who is in the highest pay grade and at that my friends we have reason for thanksgiving that's great news and at the next level, the, lowest, the next lower level, verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his loving kindness is everlasting. Regardless of which ruler is placed in office at your local, state, national, global, or higher level, God is Lord over all of those lords. He be's the boss. There is no system or society, no Illuminati or conspiracy that can knock God off of his throne. He's the Lord. He is God. And whatever society he has planted you, wherever he has postured or positioned you, his enduring love for you is present and active and unending. Yes, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Okay. So we thank God for who He is, but also for what He has done. God's creative power testifies to us that He is powerful enough to apply His everlasting goodness to us. And if there was, if there was a good God that made promises to you but was in, un, unable or incapable of keeping those promises, He would be an irrelevant God. So we need to know that God is powerful enough to do what he says, to apply his goodness. And so he's about to show us that, that he can pull off, indeed, his plans for goodness for you and I. Verse 4. Now the silent question as we enter in here is, Lord, how can we know that you're able to do good things for us? And he says, let me show you. Verse 4. To him who alone does great wonders to him who made the heavens with skill, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule the day, and the moon and stars to rule the night, his loving kindness is everlasting. He has the power, folks. He can pull it off. Okay, God, our God, has pretty good credentials when it comes to his ability to do what he says he's going to do. When you see a sunset, or when you walk out to work in the morning, you look up and see those stars. Is your mind drawn to God? It's It's just innate, like, oh. Or at least it should be innate. Theologians would call these works God's common grace. No matter who you are or what you are, everybody gets to enjoy the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the scientific things in operation that we're clueless about as we go about our merry way. And regardless of one's personal views about God, whether he exists or not, everyone benefits from the continuance of the sun, moon, and stars. But still, in looking at these creations of God, these evidences of God's existence, everyone is accountable for what they do with such knowledge. And eventually, God will hold those accountable who say, there's no God, how can I know? And they'll say, look at the stars. So I ask you, does creation cause you to seek out the God who created it all? That's why it's there. So you can give thanks to him. Okay, we acknowledge that God can carry out his good toward us, but does it follow that he will do that for us? Like my, my father-in-law used to always say, he says, you know, I, I believe with my whole heart that God spread divided the Red Sea and let the Israel pass through. But what I don't believe is that he'll do it for me. After I retired from the uh, police department, I applied for work with another law enforcement agency. And I was pretty confident that I was going to pass all the phases of the um, em, uh, re- employment things that you have to do, jump the wall and all these sorts of things, physical and all these. But the one thing I was worried about was the psychological exam. I mean, for Gunnar, it was the lie detector. For me, it was, the, it, was, it was the psych. And as the psychologist reviewed some of my actions and attitudes developed during 24 years of pushing a black and white, I was pretty sure she had concluded that I was at least a little nuts. <laughs> and while she did not refute my disturbing paradigms of life, she offered this. She said, John, our best indicator of your future performance is your past behaviors. Hmm. And because I had operated somewhat appropriately during my first career, she concluded that there was a good chance that I would probably operate appropriately in the future. Okay, I hope. So putting aside my mental state, we can certainly apply this logic to God. God will continue to be who he has always, always shown himself to be. You can hang your hat on that. It follows that we thank God for his history of hased, love towards his people, verse 10. To him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn and brought Israel out from their midst with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now are you you familiar with these stories? That's why Gunnar's going through Genesis and maybe we'll get into Exodus eventually. These Old Testament lessons are really important in our understanding of who God is and what he does. Don't don't, don't blow off the Old Testament. It's very valuable. God rescued Israel from 400 years of slavery in Egypt Um, by miraculous means. And you can read about that in the book of Exodus if you want to go home and do that. It's it's lovely reading. Uh, This is where we see, though, a fork in the road as applied to God applying his enduring love, his hasad. We said earlier that everyone benefits from common grace of God, but there is also a special grace that God shows to his people alone. The text demonstrates this. Look at verse 13. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and made Israel pass through in the midst of it, but he overthrew overthrew Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea. His love endures forever, unless you were an Egyptian. Right? They got drowned. yes. In the same event, the same act of grace, God's people experienced God's chesed love, and those who are not God's people were destroyed. What's the difference? While all people have sinned, and are by nature separated from the God of gods. In his goodness, God offered to pay the penalty of our sin. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross in our place because of the sin that we committed. But we each have a choice, every one of us. We can reject the existence of God, the existence of sin, and our need for a Savior, or we can simply accept the free gift offered by Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin and entry into God's family. The Bible says it this way, But to as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And then you're under the hasad of God. Now, verses 10 through 22 remind us the reader of God's saw to his people Israel as he led them out of Egypt into the promised land. You can read more of that. God's past practices towards his people is given to us as an assurance of his future good dealings with us. You can trust God to continue with you if you are one of his. But jump down to verse 23. Verse 23. Who remembered us in our low estate? for his loving kindness is everlasting. Being a Christian does not mean that you will be a super saint, an icon of piety. God recognizes that we, at our best, are puny. We are puny. Everyone is brought low before a God, but we are also brought low before ourselves. I spoke of living the lesson. And I'm sure I connect with more than a few of you when I admit that I have not even lived up to my own standards, let alone God's standards. I'm puny. And part of coming to Christ, part of salvation, is coming to the realization that not only do we not measure up, but that we are wholly incapable of rising up to any semblance of godliness. We are weak and we are puny and we need to be saved even from ourselves. If you haven't come to this point, I pray that you will. For only then can you experience the said love of God to those who are of a puny status. And God will not forget you when you are brought down low. Rather, perhaps the best arena for him to demonstrate his great and powerful unending mercy toward you is in your lowness. And if you want to more fully experience God, you have to let him make you less. Do you want it? Do you want it? Verse 24, and has rescued us from our adversities for his love endures forever. Maybe this is exactly why God has exposed you to your personal adversaries. Maybe that's why he's put you under the authority of that I can't say jerk. What's the word, Gunner? <laughs> Person who's not pleasant to be around. So that he can bring you to the point of needing rescue. A rescue that only he can do. And this next verse then is strikingly out of place. We have moved from God's common grace to his treatment of those who are under his special grace. But now he shifts back to common grace. Verse 25. Who gives food to all flesh for his love endures forever. Just like he wanted to showcase his goodness out of place, he wants to showcase this aspect of him out of place. In fact, he exalts it. It's a beautiful interjection for us today. It's almost like God knew that in these last days, there would be many world events that have shaken us to our core. And putting aside pandemics and fear of global conflicts, we fear climate change, global warming, valley center water shortages, even Christians fear these things. You think about it. But here, the good God gives us assurance of his provision. He says, I feed you. And I'm reminded of two verses. Genesis 8, he says, this is God, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. He controls it. It's his prerogative. He's not out of control. He will take care of you. He can feed you. Matthew 6.25, you know this one well. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. If not, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air! They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are Are you not much more valuable than they? Yes, you are. The God who gives food to all flesh, his love endures forever, and he will keep doing that for you. Now, before we look at the final verse, I want to tell you that the Bible teacher in me wants to give you personal applications from this text. I've been preparing for this. I want to point out that thankful people are generous people. Thankful people are courageous people. Thankful people are happier people. Those who have experienced the has said of God should share that has said with others. Sounds like something a Bible teacher would say, right? All great applications, by the way. But still, we cannot hijack this text and take it to other destinations. As good as those destinations might be. You see, Psalm 136 is God-centric, not man-centric. It's about God. And therefore, the sole application is actually given to us in the text itself. It's kind of hard to miss. Give thanks to the Lord. He says it a few times. That's God's application for you and I. That's it right there. But God has some other... No, this is it. And regardless of the specific application that God lays in your heart... We can all agree that in both attitude and action, we most certainly want to give God thanks in a manner that is pleasing with Him. And so the psalm ends, verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven for His loving kindness is everlasting. So as we walk out of this passage today, do you recognize that you do have much for which to thank God, and where do you need God to express His goodness to you today? Where is that special need? Where is He postured you? Where you, you need His goodness? How can you tangibly show thanksgiving to God for His Hassad love? You know, for many of us, holidays can be rough. Thanksgiving today is just not like it was 30 years ago. Are you at a place in your life where you need the God of heaven's mercy to be poured out on you? You're in good company. You're in a good place. So after we close in music, I just, just want to point out, we always have prayer warriors up front. And if you need a little bit of God's said love, come down, talk to them, pray with them. Be encouraged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you, O God, for your love endures forever. And we thank you for overshadowing all of this with just your goodness. Just your goodness. Lord, we know from your history that you can do these things. We've seen that you will do these things, and you make it clear that you do these things for us. And so, Father, help us to have eyes to see that you are right there in the middle of our challenges and joys so that we might be thankful when we deal with you. In Jesus' name, amen.